Innovation imperative. Survival is not compulsory. In a difficult world, we have to change what we offer the world and the ways we create and deliver that. We have to innovate. But even smart organizations who do innovate can lose their way. Take Kodak, a great business dominated the 20th century in the imaging industry, founded by a very smart entrepreneur, George Eastman, but basically a company now in deep trouble in Chapter 11 bankruptcy. Or Sears, one of the big retailers in the whole of the United States, for many, many years a household name, now again Chapter 11 bankruptcy. Or Blockbuster, for many years the way we would consume video by going and renting a video, but now moved out of the way and moved out of the game by players like Netflix. Pan Am, one of the great airlines in the post-war years, again disappeared. Nokia is not quite dead yet, but in deep trouble. The good part of Nokia, the people who make the mobile phone networks are still doing very well, but as a handset maker, clearly nothing like the heyday they had earlier on in this century. And the Polaroid camera. Edwin Land, another great inventor, came up with a wonderful idea for instant photography, pioneered this, but despite being a market leader, lost their way again, Chapter 11 bankruptcy. So survival in innovation is by no means compulsory. And it's even harder for the startup. This curve basically shows very easily that the companies that even get as far as getting funding, what's called the pre-series and the Series A funding, very, very, very few of them actually survive long term. Innovation's difficult. So when we talk about survival and growth, we perhaps should remember the mortal words of this man, Charles Darwin, who basically said in his book, The Origin of Species, it's not the strongest that survives, nor the most intelligent. It's the one that's the most adaptable to change. And that's really the innovation story, adaptable to change. Big certainly isn't always best. The dinosaurs, after all, were very big. And we've got plenty of examples in the business world of big companies, but big companies don't always survive. And it's not also about big brains. In the company world, if we think about that, that's the kind of business that spends a great deal on creating knowledge. Big spenders on R&D. Now, one of the biggest was IBM. For very many years, one of the top players in the computer industry because it invested so much in R&D, but also in good market research as well. But despite doing all of that, despite being a household name for much of the 20th century, in the 1990s, the company nearly lost everything. It had to undergo a radical change in the way it thought about and carried out innovation in order to turn around and become again a great business. So the key really is adapting to a changing world, a bit like the chameleon, being able to change with whatever the circumstances are requiring. Now, on the plus side, it's not all bad news. There are many companies that have survived over a hundred years. For example, this company, Stora Enso. You may not know of them, but they're still very big in wind power and in particular in paper and related products. It's a Scandinavian company, which actually goes back to the 13th century. So we're talking nearly 800 years of survival, not by doing the same thing, but by innovating. Or well, these people, Merck, 
a German company, originally a pharmacy, founded 350 years ago. 2018, they had a very big birthday cake with 350 candles on it. Basically, today, they are still involved in pharmaceuticals, but one of their other products is probably the liquid crystal display, which is driving the screen that you're looking at this on. Or 3M. Quite a, a, a youngster, really, compared to the other two. 3M, just over 100 years old. But the Minnesota Mining and Manufacturing Company, another company that has survived and grown through consistent innovation. Company here, you can see the Marshall Group, established in 1909. Again, a history in the aerospace and motor industry of continuous innovation. Another company called Heller, a German company, Again, something that you may not know of, but probably the headlights on any of the cars you see outside, there's a very good chance will have been made by Heller. But Heller are not just about innovation in car headlights or car lighting, they're also innovating in terms of car electronics. And much of what goes into the driverless car of the future will probably be made by Heller. So these are companies which have survived, but have survived through consistent innovation. So you've got to be smart and you've got to be flexible. One of the things about 3M is that they've changed what they offer the world continuously, but it draws on a common route. The company began, if you like, with a bit of a failure. The name, the Minnesota Mining and Manufacturing Company, describes what their business model was. They were going to try and collect the kind of grit that's needed, carborundum, the hard grit, to spread on paper to make sandpaper which would help in the new car industry in terms of preparing surfaces for painting. Unfortunately, the mine that they bought didn't have the right rocks in it, so the company already started on the back foot. But it's a company that has survived and learned in terms of innovation and invested heavily in their core knowledge base. They're basically very good at coating one surface with another. So if you take sandpaper, it's coating grit onto paper, if you take metal oxide onto various kinds of acetate and other tape, that got them into tapes and then eventually into computer drives and so on. So 3M, again a company very much built on innovation. Philips, originally a light bulb maker. That's where the company began over a hundred years ago. Very soon they got into valves, which are essentially a kind of light bulb where the electronics is replacing the filaments that make the light. But essentially Philips grew and built a global business out of electronics. What Philips are today, of course, is still there, but it's also heavily involved in the medical world. Philips, though, a continuing process of innovation, changing what they offer the world, drawing on deep knowledge base. And Procter and Gamble, two gentlemen way, way back, 150, 200 years ago, essentially trying to make a range of household products. Soaps and candles to begin with, now hundreds of thousands of products. But once again, a deep knowledge base. They spend about $3 billion a year doing research, but trying to understand user needs, trying to create products across a very wide spectrum. All of these companies haven't just done one thing and stuck to it. They've innovated and innovated and innovated. So, if we look at these and other members of the 100 Club, the survivors, what's the recipe for innovation success? Well, several things come to mind. The first is there's a real commitment to innovation, a vision, 
a view of the future which sees changing what we offer the world and how we make that as part of the core of the business. It's innovation in all directions. It's not just products, it's also processes, it's bringing new services to bear, it's working with new markets. It's innovating in many different directions. It's building a deep knowledge base. One phrase you might use is, you grow through what you know. That's why they invest in research, not for fun, but because that builds the knowledge base which they can then deploy through innovation. And the other thing they're all prepared to do is to change and challenge the underlying models they have about how they innovate. Procter & Gamble, for example, for 200 years or so, have been innovating very successfully. But in 1999, they fundamentally changed their innovation model. Instead of one which was based on doing their own research and then using that knowledge, they said, hmm, in a world where there's so much going on outside, we can't know everything. We've got to change the model. And so they set themselves an ambitious target. Their program was called Connect and Develop. And the target basically said, in the future, we will get half our innovations, 50% from outside the company. Now, when they said that, they had no idea where they were going to come from. So they had to rebuild an innovation model to cope with a different environment. That's the kind of adaptability that Charles Darwin would be proud of. And it's the same in the public sector and in the field of social innovation. The same recipes apply. If you take someone like the Red Cross, founded again about 200 years ago nearly, and the Red Cross essentially is not an organisation which is just doing one thing well. It's continuing to innovate in all sorts of ways. Or MindLab. MindLab is an organisation set up in Denmark, originally owned and run by the Ministry of Taxation, the Ministry of Economic Affairs and the Ministry of Employment. So deep in the heart of the mainstream ministries. And MindLab's job was essentially to try and stimulate and enable innovation in the public sector. But just like Procter & Gamble, MindLab recently announced it was going to close. Not because it didn't do a good job, but because the innovation model that's now needed is one which is different again. So MindLab has becoming a different approach, still deeply embedded within the government, trying to drive, in this case, public sector at innovation. And Aravind, an organisation we've already seen, essentially set up in the 1970s to bring low-cost eye care to people who couldn't otherwise afford it. Aravind began with a simple model, the eye system, and developed from that to cover other operations, to move into education programmes, to move into manufacture of lenses, to all sorts of things. Innovation in many different directions, drawing on a deep knowledge of eye care, and again being prepared to change its model for innovation. So, let's summarise. Innovation is essential. Survival is not guaranteed in a turbulent environment. Large companies do fail, and it's even harder for startups. So just saying we believe in innovation is not enough. We've got to work at it, but we've also got to be very careful. The same principles apply in the public sector and in the social innovation sector. And it's really about adaptability. It's not necessarily being big, not necessarily having a huge R&D base, having lots of knowledge. What it is about is some key principles. The recipe for success, well, it's things like having the vision and commitment to innovation over the long term. 
It's being prepared to innovate in multiple directions. It's being prepared to change the underlying innovation model. Mm-hmm.